Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. And welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Baranowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. Our top story this week is the fallout from Tuesday's terrorist attacks in Brussels, Belgium, that left 31 dead and over 300 wounded. This was followed on Friday by another ISIS suicide bombing, this one in an Iraqi soccer stadium, which killed at least 29 people. Now, as we've talked about before on the show, the civil war in Syria, it's now in its sixth year, has allowed ISIS to expand its territory and its operations. And while there are no regular U.S. ground forces in Syria, special operations troops have been at work there. For instance, this week, they killed a top ISIS commander uh, responsible for organizing the group's financing. And the week before that, U.S. airstrikes took out their minister of war. Now, it seems to me President Obama's response has been kind of more of the same under the belief that the U.S. is slowly destroying the terrorist group. And as expected, at least expected by me, Republicans hoping to get Obama's job are calling for much more aggressive action. Donald Trump, for instance, once again reiterated his call for banning Muslims entering the U.S., which is a really popular position among Republican primary voters. Ted Cruz, I think, went one step further, suggesting that local law enforcement should patrol and secure Muslim neighborhoods in the U.S. before they become radicalized, while at the same time, ironically, arguing that Trump didn't have the background to conduct a non-insane foreign policy. And then there's Hillary Clinton, who I think was far more moderate, which kind of makes sense considering that she's running partly on a if you like Obama, you'll like me platform. And also, of course, you know, she was his secretary of state for four years. So so what do you make of the situation, Jay, and the uh, candidates responses and President Obama's responses for that matter? He is, after all, still president for a while longer. Well, you you said a whole lot of stuff there. I, I did. Um, yes. You know, I, I the first uh thing would be uh, as a Republican, not a presidential uh, Republican candidate. Um, but yeah, I would I would agree that uh, the position on the right is we ought to be doing more to combat ISIS. Um, how that how that takes place is something entirely different in the situation in uh, Belgium or in in, um, in Belgium. Uh, you know, the the problem is that's something we we can share intelligence, obviously, but it sounds as if uh, they had intelligence coming from the Turks that was just not acted on. Um, so there's not there's not a whole lot we can do other than providing intelligence assistance in preventing these sort of things um, to stop uh, the the spread in in Europe. Um, we could we could and should and should have uh, been doing more. I think in Syria to take away that um, home base, um, but. But I think what you're seeing here, it would have happened independent of, of Syria um, or or whether they had a home base because this, this does seem to be more a homegrown, uh, radicalized uh, uh, situation. So um, 
you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure what what else to say on that. I mean, the the, the Trump argument of uh, stop all um, Muslims from coming in, and as, as we've said a number of times, and as most people would agree, is just is just not workable. Um, what about is sorry? Go ahead. I, I no, just, go ahead. Just what what about what Ted Cruz had to say on this? His idea of uh, uh, you know having. Uh, uh, enhanced patrols in the U.S. Uh, to make sure that Muslim neighborhoods don't become radicalized? Um, you know, I'm not sure what he means by patrols. Uh, I think we should be reaching out to Muslim neighborhoods. And I think a lot of that has been done. Um, there was, uh, and I, I forget where I heard it. I usually like to say where I heard stuff, but um, something on the order of, you know, let's put it this way, a, a majority of, of uh Times that we have received information, we being meaning the United States government, not like me, you and me. Sure, yeah, um, we haven't received but, much uh, information now. Exactly. Um, regarding radicalization, possible terrorist threats, it's come through um, the Muslim community itself, and I think so. What we want is cooperation with the Muslim community, uh, and not a. Uh, a situation where they are so isolated that we're not getting information. And now, I, there, there are critics who can say that cooperation has not been as extensive as it ought to have been. And in some cases, I think you can point to areas there where um, Muslim clerics, for example, have, have declined to cooperate. Uh, but, you know, that, does that, does that uh, you know, again, I, I'm not sure what, what Cruz means by, by patrols. Um, it sounds to me like he means that people with uh – you know, w w police would, would go around. And so it seems to me that that's really not the way you would enhance cooperation. I don't right. know. Sort of, yeah. Any radicalization yeah. going on here? Exactly. Nope. Yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, it, well, we'll um, be around with our guns watching you very carefully. And uh, yeah. this should work out really well to de-radicalize or prevent. I mean, I think it was just throwing some red meat to the base because honestly, he doesn't have a good answer. Donald Trump has been all over the place on this. I mean, at one point he said, well, I've been hearing 20 to 30,000 troops is what we need. Then he said, oh, no, uh, we certainly wouldn't want to send troops. So I think Donald Trump, as, as, as with almost all of his policy, seems to be making it up as he goes along. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton does – I mean, she's obviously right in that she has far more experience than either of these guys put together. Then again, you know, it's it's fair to point out that some – That's a little bit like the – whatever, the, the team that always plays the Harlem Globetrotters saying, well, we have a lot of yes, experience the Washington in Generals. Yeah, We've absolutely. lost every game ever, but yes. Yeah, and so I think that that's fair to say, but it also seems like she's a lot more cautious on this and she would probably do less crazy things if we take them all at their word, essentially which is always a, you know, a perilous sort of thing to do. I would say, I would, I would say um, Hillary Clinton understands the, the capabilities and the limitations um, of our intelligence system and of our criminal justice system. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, so, and I think that's, that's something that's important. You know, something else I wanted to, to highlight though, that, you know, Europe is different than the United States uh, in that I think you have Muslim communities there that are much more segregated oh, yeah. than what we have here. Uh, I think there are probably some some neighborhoods in uh, in the Detroit area where there's a, a big Muslim population that that might be, you know, close. But you know, for example, I I, I think that part of the radicalization comes from that uh, segregation, and I'm not suggesting it's it's an uh, uh, um, 
intentional segregation. Um, right. But but in the U.S. does do a better job, and it, it's a it's a value that that we hold uh, dear is that that other cultures are are assimilated. Oh, melting. That pot sounds like thing. a nasty yeah. word, but really it's no, not. It's really not a very nice word. We're not the Borg uh, here. No, so exactly. Yeah, the Borg, the Borg kind of ruined the, the term uh, for us. Yes. Um, but no, I, but, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. And that means that those communities tend to be inherently more dangerous because they're not at all or they're a lot less a part of the fabric of the larger communities. And so that's why I think a lot of the concerns that people have are, uh, while understandable, I think it's a lot harder for something like that to happen here. It certainly can. Than there, but you're right. The situation is very different there, and you know, and I think this ties into something that that some folks have said as well. You know, this stuff is happening in Europe, and there are all these calls for U.S. boots on the ground and U.S. action. And hey, wait a wait a minute, don't don't, don't these countries have armed forces, and why are we the ones who have to get involved in this and risk? risk American lives for a terrorism problem in Europe, in part because of some policies that Europeans have chosen about integration uh, or the lack thereof, about their open borders policies, which certainly are great for them economically, but make policing a whole lot harder. And so why do we have to pick up the slack for their questionable decisions. And I think even if you don't agree with that argument, ultimately, it's an, it's an argument worth worth raising and considering. Well, my my response always to when they the why do we have to do it is is because nobody else will, um, and, you know, and I think that's that's sort of a. a are we being helicopter kind of parents? The, the is what I'm works. saying, Jay. Are we just? Are we just? Are we? You know, is it time to let the let some of the sparrows leave the nest? Uh, at, at what point do we do we do that? At least a little bit. And I think you're right. And if, if we do want to transition out of our very forward, very aggressive posture in the Middle East, among other regions, there, there's a period of instability. It, it comes with the territory, any kind of change. But but then again, is this is, is this the time to do that? I don't know. There's never going to be a good time for that. But I think you can certainly make a case that, you know, maybe it is a time and maybe we should at least start looking at those options. And certainly there are plenty of people who, who feel that that's a that's that's a viable uh, solution. And, and I, I would take the opposite say, uh, approach and say to some extent our disengagement uh, is, is what has uh, sort of fueled the problem. Um, our disengagement, getting out of Iraq uh, without leaving a sufficient security force, uh, announcing uh, you know, when we're getting out of Afghanistan and essentially you know, leading from behind in Libya – and allowing the Russians to take the lead uh, in in Syria, um, yeah, here, I think a lot of that has has been to our detriment from a, a global uh, power, uh, you know, perspective. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, I, I I get the the left doesn't like to have that idea of uh, projecting global power and influence, but. Um, it, it's either you know, no, see, I, it's either I, your guys or it's not your guys. Well, I mean, that's sort well, of the yeah, two choices. I think you're right, and I actually, have. I actually agree with you. My problem is that if you're going to do it, go. You need to go all in. Uh, I think the big problem with with what I consider generally a disastrous Obama foreign policy is he seems to want it both ways. He wants to talk tough. He wants to have the influence without actually committing the resources necessary and you can't have it both ways you can't right. you can't we're, do we're going both to have things. a we're going to draw a red line that you shall not exactly. cross and if you do i'll be terribly upset yes exactly and so i mean i i think it's you can make a principled stand for you know for 
pulling out uh, in a in a very significant way, or you can make a principled stand for going all in. But what the Obama administration has been doing is is neither of those things. And I think you know, granted, the Obama administration inherited a colossal mess, as did the Bush administration, as we can go way back to, you know, the early parts of the, the 20th century. But, you, you know, you you have to deal with the situations that you're I mean, you, you could say, I mean, quite honestly, the, the Romans inherit a terrible yeah, situation. Exactly. Sure. I mean, in the Middle so, East. I mean, that's, that's so, you know, I, I think how far back this, this goes. Yeah. And I think that's, that's sort of a commentary on how difficult the, the problem is to solve. Yeah. But, but I think no, no matter what, it, it, I think history has sort of shown us that in conflicts, especially certainly in the Middle East, that kind of half measures do not work. Is you need a strategy, you need to really commit to that strategy, and you need to stick with it. And we have not done that, and I think it's been to our great, great detriment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Okay, well, we do kind of, you know, let's let's stay on foreign policy for a little bit before we get to the elections. Um, as you know, Jay, President Obama got out of town this last week. In fact, he, he took the wife, the kids, even his mother-in-law to Cuba, um, and then they moved on to Argentina because, Taking you know, a ball why game. not? Yep. Yeah, exactly. So um, now the Cuba trip, of course, is part of the president's initiative to normalize relations with the communist country. And for the last eight months, the U.S. has had an embassy in Cuba, something that hasn't been the case since 1961. And President Obama also loosened travel restrictions to the point now where any U.S. citizen willing to really tell a little white lie, one that will not be checked on, by the way, can travel to Cuba just, just for the heck of it. Um, What's the little white, 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 white lie that you have to tell? You have to check a box saying you're going there for educational or some other purpose like that, basically. You can't right. just say to check well, out that was, the That was kind of like, like – uh... Uh, like Jay-Z and Beyonce. Exactly, exactly. Went there for educational purposes. Yeah, per- perfect example. Um, yes. But but yeah, you know, so... But at that time, at that time it, it required a higher level of approval. The, yes. Like, you sort of had to have a sign-off from the administration. Well, Jay-Z and Beyonce are which at they, a higher level. They received, so, yeah, yes. they, of course, because of who they are. Now, but still, absent it, congressional action... Doing their scholarly work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. But I should point out that if Congress doesn't act, which it won't, the uh, pointless... U.S. unilateral trade embargo on Cuba, which has been in place since 1960, isn't going away. So, uh, what do you think? What do you think of the president's trip to? Well, let's start with Cuba, and then we can move on to Argentina, just like President Obama did. Uh, what do you think the point was of that trip? Do you think it was worthwhile, Jay? Oh, you know, I've got I've got a lot of really mixed feelings on this, um, and that is there is one school of thought that says in dealing with these types of regimes, uh, engagement is a better approach. Um, that said, sometimes I'm concerned about the type of engagement we have. I think the engagement has to be uh, on our terms. I think we have to do more to insist on uh, what it is that we want from the Cuban regime, and that mostly is is a respect for civil rights. Um, and the the other thing that just troubles me is – uh, and this is an o- Obama has this tendency to to appear sort of obsequious uh, before foreign leaders and in, okay. in foreign places. Well, he fought um, it this time. If you saw that kind of when when Castro tried to raise up his hand in some sort of solidarity salute, Obama, uh, you know, kind of pulled away from that. And so one of the more awkward pictures you'll see of two foreign leaders. Uh, so but but yeah, I, I, I know that's been a 
constant critique of the president that he's apologized for the United States and stretched out too much of a hand, essentially. I bowing, don't necessarily bowing agree with very that. deeply to the the, the Saudi yeah, princes. Oh, I mean, and, and again, in in terms that that I think uh, are below the dignity. Dignity of, of a U.S. president. Yeah. And, you know, like we said before, the, the president is the, the leader of the government. He's also the head of state. And the head of state function is the job that in many ways is, is kind of easier and more fun. Um, and that's the one he, I, in my opinion, he gets wrong a lot of times. Um, but just by example, I mean, he gave a speech at Notre Dame a couple of years ago uh, and, and insisted that uh, a, a cross that was in the back – uh, because Notre Dame is a Catholic institution, as you might expect, uh, be covered up, uh, and that was you know sort of troubling. But at the same time, he's he is posed below the the giant picture mural, whatever it is, of, of Che Guevara, um, and and it, again that just this strikes me as now I, I I suppose it's a little difficult to say to your your host uh, take down the Che picture or, yeah. or cover it up, um, but but he needs to be cognizant of how those pictures are going to be used, uh, what those pictures say. Um, so that's what troubled me. Uh, he did meet with dissidents, and I think that was good. Uh, I think that was that was better than good. Um, I wish he had said more about them. Uh, it's almost it's almost like the um, you know taking the baseball game, uh, which which I read. This is even from the New York Times. Was interesting. Was was by invitation only. Right. Uh, which, you know, the, uh, and well, again, again, this is just a, a matter a communist of, regime. you know, we're screening for security. Society. It's, it's yeah. no, only the people we want can come to the baseball game. But, but and that's uh, the there whole were also, point. uh, situations of, of people who are rounded up and, and, uh, you know, sort of the usual suspects were rounded up, uh, in advance of, of Obama's visit. Sure. Which is part of the reason why he's visiting, because the idea is that more openness will lead to more interaction and will lead to a lot of these freedoms and that you need the you need the economic and you need the cultural interaction and interchange. And that kind of helps to kind of promote the democratic stuff from the ground up, ideally, you know, as opposed to doing it the, the well, way it, that we tried to do it. If, if you go there and then you say – Hey, uh, what happened to all the people you rounded up? Yeah, and he's, he did um, some of that, if, I think. Or yeah. if you go out and speak uh, out in the open with the Cuban dissidents on camera, that makes a difference. Well, you know, you're, uh, you're right. There's a balance you have to strike. I, I totally agree. And, and and you and I, I would say, and Republicans and Democrats in general may have reasonable disagreements about what that balance is. I think in, in the case of Cuba, President Obama's done a good job of striking that balance. You'd like to see a little more of a push for the human rights things. And I, I get that. But it seems like we both seem to agree that more engagement is perhaps a better strategy going forward. So President Obama has the right strategy. I think you and I are just disagreeing a little bit on its implementation of that strategy. Is that fair? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's fair. Because okay. to me, again, the idea that he's he's traveling to a place and Cuba is is such a is such a hot button thing for so many weird reasons um, between conservatives and liberals, uh, and and that is that to me, what what troubles me, what what just burns me up, is the idea that our, our to what extent is our foreign policy driven by just sort of this romanticization of of Cuba of uh, 
you know, of the, it's, it's, oh, it's so quaint and, and it's the cool old cars and it's this neat retro thing and it's Che Guevara with his rakish, uh, beret. Um, you know, and it's, it's all this sort of love affair that the, the sixties left had, uh, back in the day. Um, and it's just really turning a blind eye to what is sort of a horrible reality of, of what's gone on there and continue to go on there. Sure. Um, and I'll just throw out one other example. I mean, um, a week or two ago, um, uh, Hillary was was blasted uh, because she said some things about Nancy Reagan. Um, no, she was blasted by by the gay community uh, by praising Nancy Reagan for you know being a a positive voice, doing work uh, with AIDS. Right. Which you know, and and quite frankly, it was it was a weird thing to say because Nancy Reagan really didn't do yeah. much. She wanted to say something uh, nice. Yeah. AIDS. Over. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of other nice things you could have said about Nancy Reagan, but uh, anyway, the, the the gay communities, you know, was was upset, and I suppose rightfully so. That's, but if you look at what Castro's done to the gay community, how he handled AIDS, which was we're going to lock them up in prison and let them die, sure. um, and yet, you know, again, Obama's a hero shaking hands with, with albeit Castro's brother, with this same regime uh, while people are swearing, oh, my gosh, I'll never vote for I, Hillary now I, I don't because think, she said something nice about Nancy Reagan. Uh, it's, I don't think anyone thinks Obama's a hero for doing this. I mean, if they do, that's a fringe element. Well, they think it's, they think it's, they think it's laudable. Well, yeah, he I is, do think he is, sure getting, he is getting applause, even from you. I think he should be because uh, for, for doing this, and he's from trying, a lot of the same people who are condemning sure. uh, Hillary for, uh, for not yes, being. Yes, Republicans love to talk about hypocrisy. Yes, okay. No, um, no, no. no it, it's that's not. Fine. It's not. Um, well, it. it yeah, you know what I'm saying. I it's, do know what you're saying. I do know what you're saying. I think, though, the point is, is that what we've been doing for over 50 years has not worked. President Obama's trying something different. Uh, will it work? I don't know. I don't think anyone who's being honest knows if it will work. But certainly what we've been doing hasn't worked. And uh, there are a lot of miserable people in Cuba under a horrible, oppressive regime. And I'm for trying something different to make their lives a little bit better. That's my bottom line on this. Okay, I'm I'm for trying for something different, but I would try it more aggressively, and I would use the the um, uh, the the power, the bully pulpit of the presidency, to call out Cuba on its human rights records, to ask to meet with people who we know are political prisoners. Okay, uh, say bring them out of jail. We want to see them. I to I mean, did you know? I mean, when when the Pope went to visit Cuba, that he was supposed to visit with dissidents, but. Uh, there was some traffic problems, and uh, he, he was prevented from getting to his destination where he was going to meet them. Um, you know, this is this is the type of regime that 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 we're dealing with, um, and and we need to to call it out if if we're going to say you know, and, and obviously we have the upper hand here economically. Um, you know, call up and say you know, I'm I'm sort of stumbling this morning today. I'm not sure why, but. Um, you know, when you recall Reagan, 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 and Reagan in Berlin, you know, Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. Uh, 
he could have made some type of, of statement like that. If Mr. Castro, let, let your he, people like, go. And like you said, he talked to dissidents. I don't know. I think I think you're you're expect just coming on all kind of guns blazing. That's not going to do anything. That's just going to close everything up. I understand what you're saying, but I think you're calling for something that's so aggressive it would be counterproductive. But but anyway, we clearly disagree on that. But it sounds like we both agree that, that at least some kind of different strategy might not necessarily be a bad thing, though I'm obviously a lot more in favorite than you are. Now, in terms of Argentina, interesting situation there. Uh, uh, Ten years ago, as recently as a decade ago, there was a pretty far-left regime there, hated our guts. That that regime is out of power now. Argentina is becoming a much more kind of a centrist, more moderate thing, and President Obama certainly trying to work with them on that and encourage them in that, and I think that's certainly a, a good thing. Uh, though, you know, it's important, I think, for people to realize that there's a long, long history of uh, U.S. Uh, skullduggery, I'll use the word, in this region. Uh, we've done a lot of nasty stuff for a lot of years. Uh, and so I'm, I'm not blaming you know, current administrations for that. Certainly mistakes were made, if you want to put it that way. But the thing is, is people, you know, have, have long memories, just like the Cuban exiles in the United States, especially in South Florida, have long memories. A lot of people in these countries know what kind of dirty stuff that the U.S. did. And, you know, so we see ourselves always as the good guys, and certainly I do as well. But it's important to keep keep the history in mind when we're trying to understand why these people aren't welcoming us with open arms just because we've done some pretty nasty stuff uh, in the past and you know well, I think and the, the specifics the specifics on this would be that um, the US overthrew uh, allegedly uh, with with the help of the CIA overthrew uh, a elect, elect a democratically elected socialist um, in the 1950s and also, we might have been part of their their little uh, propping up propping up uh, uh, the dictator who followed. Yeah, and and then there were all kinds of human rights uh, crimes in the uh, in the dictatorship, and from the seventies to the early eighties. And our role in that is kind of hazy. What sort of role, if any, we played in that? So there's a lot of that going on, and so that that all obviously enters into the equation uh, when when we're talking about you know moving forward in some kind of a relationship. Right. So. Um, that said, I, I again, Argentina is not Cuba, uh, and I, I think it's it's great that our president gets out and is uh, looking to expand our ties with South America. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, now the whole dancing the tango uh, business, though. Um, he will not be on Dancing with the Stars post presidency. I'm gonna I'm gonna make that prediction. It, where did Where did Hillary go uh, when she was Secretary of State and she was dancing? Um, I don't really want to see politicians dance. I think Tom DeLay well, was actually on Dancing with the Stars, and it was a it was a indeed. painful experience. It was after he was out of office, though. Yes, yes, he had, yeah. uh, and he was not serving as the representative of our country uh, no. when doing it. Um, and this isn't really a political point. This is more just a. Um, it it just comes off as as a a little undignified uh, for our head of state. I don't I don't think you you could you know, President Obama could do much of anything without you feeling it was somehow undignified. But that's another story. I suppose. oh no no yeah. I would I would say in in many times he he really can can pull it off. Okay, um, you just didn't like his tango. But, you think a tango would no, have been and espe- especially in uh, in a foreign country. That's. Yeah. So he shouldn't he shouldn't polka in Poland or waltz in Austria or anything like that. No, and he no shouldn't dancing. he shouldn't hug the queen. Remember that? 
Um, he shouldn't, you know, it's just, uh, loosen he up, the loosen up he Carson. Come on now. Just, geez. just a respectful handshake. And that's oh, really, man. oh, geez. Okay. Grownups here. All right. Well, anyway, uh, Anyway, so, you know, before we move on uh, uh, to uh, domestic affairs, I think I'd like to take a few moments to recognize a few of our new podcast supporters. First off, we've got we've got Carrie from Los Angeles. Carrie is our second platinum, titanium, I don't know, adamantium <laughs> level sponsor. Uh, and uh, Carrie advises us to keep hope alive. And uh, I think we'll definitely do what we can. Right, Jay? Right, you and you and I were once in a in the in an audience for a Jesse Jackson oration uh, where he was uh, shouting right. "Keep Hope Alive." That's right. Do you remember that? Thing. Yeah, that's that. Yeah. It, it dates us certainly, but yeah, I absolutely yeah. remember that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, also listener, uh, let me get this right. Baby Teak. I'm assuming that's a that's an internet name um, from East Kilbride in Scotland. Who says, wow. yeah, I know, part of our international audience. Anyways, Baby Teak says that we are helping to bring the lighthouse of clarity to a sea of ambiguity. Oh, How that's awesome. That? Thank that, you. Yeah, and I thought that was great. Uh, and then, and the, the, if, yeah, the, the Carson family uh, emigrated from Scotland oh, wow. in uh, 1910. Wow. So there's kind of a, you know, kind of a, so, yeah. it could be a fourth cousin or eighth cousin or something. Could else. Be. Anyway, um, finally, there's Christopher from Austin, Texas. Uh, thanks. Thanks for your support, Christopher. And, uh, you know, keep Austin weird. So uh, if if you are interested to, in joining Christopher, Baby Teak, and Carrie and supporting the show, you can go to politicsguys.com. That's politicsguysoneword.com. And click on either the PayPal or Patreon donation links we've got there. And we would certainly appreciate any support. Thanks very much. Okay, moving on. As you may have heard, there's a presidential race going on here, and since our last, it's been a little, qu- it's been a quieter week. It really week. has, yeah. Uh, but you know, there have been a few things. Uh, we recorded our last weekly roundup on March 20th. Uh, there have been nominating contests in three states: Arizona and Utah for the Republicans, and Arizona, Utah, and Idaho on the Democratic side. Now, starting with the Republicans, Donald Trump won all of the 58 delegates in Arizona's winner-take-all contest. Uh, and he picked up in that race 47.1% of the vote. That's more than Cruz and Kasich combined. Cruz, sorry. Yeah. Um, and in Utah, Cruz was the big winner. I mean, really big winner. He came with, with all of all 40 of, I love this, the Beehive State delegates. I don't know why they call Utah the Beehive State. But anyway, I thought I'd throw that in there, a little FYI. And he totally trounced Kasich and Trump. He won almost 70% of the vote in in Utah. And that right now puts the delegate count for the Republicans, 739 for Trump, 465 for Cruz, and 143 for Kasich. Uh, so uh, what do you think, Jay? What, uh, uh, what do you make of Trump's success in Arizona or Cruz's success in Utah or why Utah is called the Beehive State? I should have looked that up. I don't know. Anyway. I, I have no idea about the Beehives. Um, uh, Cruz's success there, I think that's, that's, that's one of the first things um, in this race that I can look at and say, yes, that makes sense. That's, this is what I would expect. It's nice to feel that um, every once in a while, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Utah is a conservative state, uh, a big Mormon population, um, which which is different than evangelical conservatism because there's there's a, a funny sort of cultural conservatism that that runs through that's that's just kind of a different uh, different breed. But but it's it's 
it's what you would it's it's a, a group that you would expect to go for Ted Cruz and to uh, go against Donald Trump but, and but, and but they Trump, did so Trump's that's good. I mean Trump's uh, had a lot of The downside is it's it's Utah and there's just yeah. still not that many of them. So that's true. That's true. So so what about uh, what about Trump in Arizona then? Arizona, I don't get as much. Although, I mean, I think there might be uh, uh, folks in Arizona um, who who feel the immigration issue yeah, that's more what keenly. I'm thinking. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Uh huh. Absolutely. Certainly, than probably people in Utah do. Um, so there may have been that sort of thing driving driving the vote. Um, there's that there's that nutty sheriff in Maricopa County. Um, yes, I was going to say, and he's he's uh, endorsed Trump, and Trump's endorsed him, and. Um, they love he went each sort other. of on yeah, a little absolutely. rant in his his uh, Washington Post interview about Joe Arpaio and what a patriot is and so forth. So uh, I, I think there's 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 some of that. The anti-immigrant uh, vote went to Trump. I think my guess I don't have the demographics in front of me. Arizona is probably older. Lots of retirees um, and and folks who are sort of middle class retirees who have gone out there. It's, and that's that's kind of Trump's base. So yeah. and you know. I don't know if you heard, but there were a lot of voting problems in Arizona. I've heard uh, stories of lines up to literally a mile long, people waiting for hours, poll workers yeah. telling folks to go home uh, that even though they hadn't voted, uh, the election had been called. And, and w- w- the reason for this, especially where the, most of the problems were in Maricopa County, they cut their polling places by 70 percent, which is yeah. just there – there was, there was an idea or I think the, the their explanation was they thought there were going to be more uh, early votes, absentee votes, votes, you know, that kind of thing. And so we don't really need as many people there to actually uh, count votes and that many ballots to actually be printed and so forth. Yeah, and, and Democrats, some Democrats at least are saying, you know, this is this is kind of what the Republicans wanted in the first place because lower turnout tends to favor uh, tends to favor Republicans, less uh, extremist type of people, that sort of thing. And you know, I, it made me think about. But, but but the result, I think that you you just saw in Arizona, it, it sort of proves that theory wrong. Well, I think there were a lot of yeah, a lot of people coming out to vote. I don't know who those people in the lines were coming out to vote for. I, I I'm apparently not, most of them were coming out Trump. to vote for Trump. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so yeah, maybe lower turnout. Yeah, maybe it did work in his favor. But it got me to thinking about you know uh, uh, voting by mail and 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 voting rights and so forth. And that's always you know a perennial issue around elections. And as as, as someone pointed out, that uh, up until fairly recently. Uh, Arizona was covered under Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, where if they wanted to make changes to their voting procedures, they needed what was called preclearance from the Justice Department. And it's a good likelihood if Maricopa County wanted to do this, if they'd still been under that, the Justice Department would have uh, looked askance at cutting polling places by that much. Though that's not I'm not I'm not suggesting that the county is trying to be uh, nefarious here. I mean, doing this costs a lot of money. And from what yeah. I read, they projected uh, almost a $2 million shortfall covering the cost of this year's election. And and honestly, everyone talks about spending more on elections, but that's almost always just during elections. And then elections only happen once every two years. And then people have to be concerned about things like infrastructure potholes and you know paying for police and all these other things that are day-to-day expenses. So I do have a lot of sympathy for the states and the counties and this. And that's why I think that if the federal government is so – people are so concerned that the federal government needs to shell out more money and not expect the states to somehow be able to afford this in like really difficult financial times. No, I, I agree with you there. Um, 
And I don't think there's anything nefarious going on in uh, Arizona. I think they probably just made a a, a bad call uh, in terms of, of uh, expected turnout. And a lot of that might be Trump related. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's bringing yeah. out more people and, yes. and people who didn't use to vote. And uh, so, yeah, they they missed the call. I don't think it's a, a federal issue. Um, I don't know. Do you need more money? Maybe that that's going to vary from state to state and election to election. I'd rather keep the feds out of it. Um, but uh, there we have it. Yep. On the Democratic side of things, Bernie Sanders came up on top in Utah and Idaho while Hillary Clinton won Arizona. Now, on the day, Sanders picked up 63 delegates to Clinton's 55. Sanders is expected to do well in the Alaska, Hawaii, and Washington State caucuses, which are being held as we're recording this episode. Now, normally we record on Sundays, but this Sunday is Easter Sunday, which means something to Jay, not so much to agnostic godless me so we're doing the show a day early um but you i appreciate know, you accommodating my, you know my i I, I like to do what i can for my religious friends uh, but but you know i think even big wins in these caucuses shouldn't change his overall odds which i think are really bad not non-existent i mean a clinton indictment might do it for bernie but short of that i think it's extremely likely that the nominee will be will be hillary so you know Winning 63 to 55 delegates, that's not going to be enough. Bernie Sanders would need to outperform his previous performances by a factor, about by a considerable amount. And I just don't see that happening. What do you think, Jay? I agree. And, and again, in places uh, like Washington, he'll do well. Uh, and and um, uh, these sort of uh, Alaska, these these uh, low population states and um, he does better. That's fine. But when, he, once you get to California, no, I mean Hillary will take that, and and uh, it's going to be the end of the ball game. So yeah, yeah. So, uh, but then again, as we said, Bernie will stick stick in there to the bitter end, and you know, I think that's a, I think that's a healthy thing. Certainly having some. Right. He's having fun. Yeah, he I, seems to be having fun doing it. So he he really does seem to be having a good time with it, and that's <laughs> I think that's important. Okay. Finally, this week, a big state government story this week comes out of North Carolina, where the state legislature met in special session, the first one in 35 years, to pass legislation overturning the city of Charlotte's measure that protected people based on sexual orientation. Now, the reason for the special session was that the Charlotte ordinance was set to go into effect on April 1st, and the state wanted to make sure that wouldn't happen. The new state law, which went from introduction to final passage in just 12 hours, with 30 minutes allotted for public comment and five minutes for committee members to review the language, passed the state house 82 to 26 and 32 to 0 in the Senate, with all of the Senate's Democrats walking out in protest before the vote. Now, in addition to invalidating all local LGBTQ non-discrimination ordinances, the new law also prohibits any new protections, and while they were at it, they prohibited cities from enacting minimum wages higher than the state minimum wage of seven twenty-five an hour. Um, some people argue that this is very much on point with the Supreme Court's ruling in the 1996 case, Romer versus Evans, uh, where in, in that case, Colorado passed a law preventing municipalities from enacting non-gay discrimination ordinances. And the Supreme Court ruled that that constituted a violation of the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. So what do you think about this, Jay? Uh, North Carolina, what, why did they do this in the first place? I, I don't know. Um, first of all, it, it's... I'd say that the city of Charlotte could have crafted what it what it did a little more elegantly, uh, could have fixed some of the problems. The, the issue came down to bathrooms and use of bathrooms by transgender uh, folks, and you use the bathroom which which you identify with. 
regardless, as opposed to the the bathroom, which which may uh, reflect the the equipment you got. Um, and you know, there there's what's in politics called dog and cat bills, mm-hmm. and the traditional wisdom is you never want to be involved in a dog or cat bill. And the reason is is because everybody in the world has a dog or a cat, okay, uh, and they have very strong mm-hmm. feelings about it. Um, likewise, everybody uses bathrooms, um, so it's sort of let's hope so. Uh, they, yeah, they 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 got they opened up this this whole thing, which may have been uh, well intentioned, um, but uh, I, I can understand why there's 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 a backlash. It plays to the it certainly plays to the base. I mean, in that uh, you know these kind of social issues are a big deal in a lot of legislatures, and in a lot of these legislatures, all of a sudden, for the first time uh, in recent years, have become entirely controlled by by the Republican Party, and they have an ability to pass this legislation. My, my sense is the the Charlotte City Council isn't. No, I mean, I mean, state legislature <laughs> certainly not not cities, obviously, but you know, and I think this is the kind of thing that is you know kind of symbolic politics. Not that's not to say that there isn't you know a very some very real individual cases where this would matter. But in terms of great issues before the North Carolina legislature, was this worth a special session that costs an estimate of $42,000 a day just to keep Charlotte's bathrooms safe, uh, whatever that means. I I say that's absolutely ridiculous. I think it's pandering to anti-gay sentiment in North Carolina. I think it was just absolutely just uh, ridiculous. Well, you know the the numbers. I I'm gonna. I think that's kind of that doesn't really make a difference. Uh, it's that's just sort of taking the number, the amount of money they spend in the legislature, and extrapolating it to hours in session or something like that. And you know everybody's getting paid anyway. Um, I think it's. I, I, I but I don't think you can say this. This is I, look. I think it's a it's bad, but I don't think it's. I think it's non frivolous. Um, when you say protecting bathrooms. Um, you know, look, I've I've got three daughters, and do I want uh, a guy going in there? Mm, I don't know. Um, that that troubles me a little bit. And so you're um, saying that if Charlotte maybe would have rewritten their legislation and it didn't include the 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 bathroom provision, that maybe that would have been okay. Let let me okay. Let's just let's let's say um, hypothetically. Let's go back to where we were. Say. Freshman year in high school. Whoa, okay. We're going way back in the way back machine. All right. All right. Right. There would, would given the opportunity, uh, would there pe- were there people that you knew who, given the opportunity, would have liked to get inside the girls' locker room? Oh, absolutely. And, and if all they had to do to get into the girls' locker room was to say, hey, transgendered, this is where I'm going, uh, do you think – do you see that as a possibility of that happening? Well, I think – yeah, I think depending but you went on, to Catholic school, so maybe it's a little different. But. Well, no, I see what you're saying here, and I think you're right. It would depend very much on how that was enforced. For instance, if anyone can just decide on the spur of the moment that for the sake of today and wanting to get into the opposite sex bathroom, I am transgendered, that's one thing. If someone has to actually somehow make some sort of formal statement of that to people in authority and they know about that ahead of time and so forth, that's a different story, then that would obviously uh, minimize some of those issues. But I see what you're saying. And yes, I think you have a point. Absolutely. How do you enforce it? I mean, do you get a state-issued transgender card? Um, I I don't think that's something that anyone wants. 
Um, no, I think you're right. On balance, on balance, I agree with you on the bathroom, on the bathroom issue. On the rest of it, I am absolutely with the city of Charlotte, but I understand how the bathroom thing has become a very symbolic part of this larger issue. I think it's probably one of the less important. And again, this is speaking as someone who's not transgendered and doesn't understand, you know, what transgender people may be feeling. And I certainly don't mean to minimize that by, by any means. So, uh, but, but I think that perhaps in trying to do a little bit too much, everything was lost. And I don't blame Charlotte for that. I blame much more than that, obviously the North Carolina legislature. Yeah. Um, again, my sense is Charlotte probably didn't have to do anything, uh, in the first place. Uh, and they had the sort of political preening they did, and, mm-hmm. and, and now we've got this, and now the legislature has to weigh in. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how North Carolina works in terms of home rule. Uh, for example, in Ohio, we've got a situation where cities have a, a certain latitude and that they can do um, – right. have, have control over their own internal – stuff up to a up, up to a certain point that's less so um, the case in North Carolina than in Ohio according to according to uh, what I found okay so uh, you know there may be a question there of this was is this a valid home rule uh, exercise of home rule power in North Carolina and I don't know enough about it to, to, to comment on that um, but uh, but for you know, now I, I think it, it is just sort of a um, you know s- symptom of when we, we start down this road, there are complications that we don't think about. Sure. And I think you're absolutely right. I, for a long time, I've said that whenever we passed any sort of legislative enactment, there are uh, always going to be unintended consequences. But I also believe that there is a history of pervasive discrimination against LB, LGBTQ folks in this country. And I think that doing something to try to alleviate that discrimination is on balance uh, going to be a, a good thing, though certainly we have to be careful about how legislation is crafted, whether it's municipal ordinances or state laws well let's you know i want to hit just real quick before we go um on the romer versus emma evans um angle on this uh and that is is this um uh you know an equal protection violation um romer versus evans was was a little different in that um there were certain protections that were put in place uh and and there was a subsequent uh attack uh, by, by the state to say, no, you can't offer those protections. Um, and, and it came down to uh, these things do. Oh, it might, you know, you know, it might be different now because is, is there a fundamental right uh, in, in right. being transgender? Exactly. I don't know that there is. I don't know that there is. I mean, there is there's gay marriage. So maybe there's something there. That's something the court hasn't looked at. What would you expect? But my sense is a court would be more likely to find at least some reasonable basis um, based on things like the bathroom issue, yeah. uh, to to allow this this state regulation uh, as opposed to uh, the Romer and Evans situation. Well, I, I, would would you expect there to be a lawsuit then challenging this? I don't know. Could be. That'd be interesting. <laughs> well, we will we will certainly uh, we'll certainly keep abreast of this issue. So, but uh, we are out of time for today, and so that's it for this episode of of the Politics Guys. Thanks, everyone. Have for, a happy Easter, everyone. Yes, happy Easter. Uh, if you have any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, or any questions for Ask the Politics Guys, which comes out every Wednesday, we would love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail dot com. Our Facebook page, where Jay and I post and comment on news articles throughout the week and where you can join in, is facebook.com 
slash politics guys page and if you're listening to us on itunes or stitcher we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate the show and write a quick review and if you like what we're doing and want us to be able to keep on doing it a donation of even a dollar or two the price of a hundred pack of half inch american national standards institute compliant 188 stainless steel lock washers would really help you'll find donation links on our site politicsguys.com the politics guys will be back next sunday we hope you'll join us